It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into another weekly Skinny Podcast, the Potpourri Edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor. With Rick Roaring, we look at uh, local sports topics, national sports topics, and we haven't gotten to a wacky story or two lately, but we may have to here again at some point. To, yeah, we we're taking rolling. submissions. If you we have are, submissions, submissions at home, we will feel take free them. to send them in. I usually have something that's going on in my life that I rant about. So last you haven't week, had any old man rants in a while. No, we did. Well, last week we got about we talked about the porn stash a little bit, and uh, that became a Solid. thing for a couple of days, which yeah. is, is always People good. People love it on Twitter. Kind of came in, came and went, which is good. Kind of like the porn stash. It kind of <laughs> came, came and went. All right, we got a, a lot to get to. Of course, our gambling picks. I don't even want to look at how I did last week. Although now yeah. I look at it, I did better than I thought. Yeah, you're okay. My, I, I finally had a uh, black Saturday and Sunday, I guess. That's not good. That's not good at all. Um, All right, speaking of of black and black eyes, we start with the Bengals and the New England Patriots. The NFL is investigating after the Patriots were caught filming the Bengals' sideline during Sunday's game in Cleveland. The Patriots' media production wing was filming an upcoming episode of Do Your Job, which has been a series of features profiling behind-the-scenes members of the organization. This particular episode was about a week in the life of a Patriots pro scout. During the Bengals game against the Browns, the crew shot B-roll of the Bengals' sideline, which violates NFL rules. Bill Belichick is saying his staff had no idea what was going on and had nothing to do with the filming. First of all, are you buying the Patriots' explanation on this one? Do you believe the hoodie had nothing to do with this? And second of all, what do you think the punishment should be? Yeah, that, that, that's that's where I think we advanced it to, but but I do want to answer the other questions. Um, directly, did he have something to do with it? Of course not. And that's how this stuff works. It's like college basketball recruiting and college football recruiting. Perfect, it's yep. Literally, it's like, honestly, I equated to a mafia don. You know what? Hey, Freddie's got to go. Now, whatever I mean by that, you deal with it, but Freddie's got to go. Well, speaking of Mafia Dons, it, this is exactly like the Louisville situation. Exactly. If, get if, on to a T. Don't tell me how you're going to get the players, but boy, go get me some dudes. Well, and, and, and then you, you, have, you have plausible deniability because you didn't directly say, go set up a whorehouse. But to take right? it, Yeah, but to make it exactly like the Louisville situation, it doesn't matter what the facts are. It doesn't matter if you didn't know what was going on. You were on secret double probation. You already had the reputation as mm. being the team that cheats within the NFL. So it really doesn't matter what the facts are or if you intentionally did this or not. You should be hit with anything the NFL can do within its power because... You already have this reputation. Yes. You just can't have, have this happen. It doesn't Here, matter what the fact. Here's are. what's been lost in this, and this was this was in I think every story that, that those of us that cover the team wrote the day that this broke, and it broke for all of us when Dave Lapp asked the question in the press conference. Nobody had any idea up until that point. That was like a holy cow light bulb moment, and we got passed along some information, which was very nice of the people that passed the information to us. The thing that that that, that I think people lost in the shuffle in this is this is the exact thing that that, that well, outside the lines did a piece back in 2015. And there's a story written about how Outside the Lines broke this down from a, a, from a reputable source, businessinsider.com, wrote a story about it that, that really lays out how deep Spygate really was and how bad it really was. And it was actually worse than what was actually reported. And one of the things it talked about is what they would do is they would send an advanced scout. They'd send a film crew under the guise of of craft productions or new england patriots production and then what they would do is they'd have a story ready in case they got caught of we're just doing a story on this advance i mean this is not there's a blueprint for this specific thing there is a blueprint that has been reported that they have done this that's the thing everybody wants to let go oh you know I, they, maybe they were maybe we're just getting some b-roll and, and you know they were just doing the story no th- this they have a blueprint for this it's if you get caught here is your story 
But the problem was, the problem was the Bengals employee who caught him, who I know, the Bengals employee who caught him literally said, give me the tape right this second. Didn't do it. Went and got their security guy. Give me this tape right this second. They did. Said, you ain't getting it back. We'll make you a copy. Have a good day. Busted. Period. End of story. Busted. Because they have eight minutes of tape of them zooming in and out on the Bengals sideline. That has nothing to do with the advanced scout. It has zero to do with the advanced. Look, you can argue, well, he's looking at these. No, no. See, that's that's not going to play here, boys. It's not because there is a blueprint. That's the part of this. And the, the, the part that it gets back to Belichick is, Direct knowledge? No, but the whole thing of, I guarantee you, whether it's him or someone close to him, and it probably starts with him of, however you get intel on another team, I don't need to know it, just go get the damn intel, right? I mean, you know that, of course. Yeah, no, and first of all, I don't believe for a second that he doesn't know this is going on. I fully believe that he knows this is happening. You have plausible deniability. Do I know that they were doing it this particular day with this particular scout in the... I, I got I had nothing to do with that. I, I also I got can, to do can with we that. talk about how silly of an idea this is that you're filming no the advanced scout in the like b-roll inside the press box of him watching the other team yes. like scouting the other team yes what a ridiculous series you you guys should be fired not for the fact that you were cheating but just for having an unimaginative bit on your website <laughs> like that was going to be a terrible episode of quote do your, your job. job. Right. That was going to be awful. No one wanted to watch that. Right, right. No, I, I, I agree with you. So so I go back to your one of your questions. Do you believe the hoodie had nothing to do, do with this? Yes, in theory, this specific incident of this specific situation probably didn't. Right, like did but, he but, order but, it? But, no. But the, but the tone is set of get me intel on every team and I don't care how you do it. And this was a way, a blueprint. This was in print Rick, four years ago, this wasn't something that just was written Monday. This was written four years ago of where they will come in under the guise of Kraft Productions, New England Patriots Media, with an advanced scout, filming him. That, and our story's going to be, we're just doing it. Dude, th- th- there's a blueprint! You got to tell me, the first time you read Kraft Productions... After recent stories yeah, no, yeah. dating back to last year's, I don't want to know what was on Craft Productions. I, I was I was a little bit dubious of what Craft Productions was about until I read <laughs> That's on. Good point. The snuff film portion they they got two different portions. They got the football portion, the cheating portion, and then the snuff film portion. So it's it's all three different. <laughs> Which things. is just security footage from uh, the massage parlor, yeah, exactly. or whatever. Exactly. Uh, the other part of that question, though, skinny. What should be done about it? What should the NFL I, do to penalize the Patriots? I, I think Bill Belichick is suspended for the rest of the season. Um, I love I, it. I think they're fined, obviously, of money. The fine, that's the thing. They're going to get fined and maybe lose a third-round draft pick, and does it really matter? Yeah. No, hit them at the core of, listen, this guy's at the top of the food chain for you people. We're cutting off the head of the snake. Hey, it was always hard to prosecute Mafia Dons, right, because they were so insulated. But eventually, they found different ways to get to them and go, hey, we've got now evidence of here, 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 and they start flipping people. Funny part is, if somebody here gets fired for this, I'm not so sure they don't flip this crap as fast as they can possibly flip it and go, hey, let me tell you what I know. Let me tell you what I got. Or maybe that's how you pressure them. Let me tell you what I know. And I, the other part of this is, for those that are saying, well, that's that's not due process. This ain't a court of law, people. Yeah, this is not a court NFL. of law. This is the NFL. And, and not to mention, it all makes for good content, which is what the NFL really is. It's the World Wrestling Federation at this point. To some They're degree. All for yes. the nonstop media cycle and drama in the offseason. Like everyone thinks the Antonio Brown stuff and Josh Gordon stuff in the past has been bad for the NFL. It's not bad for the NFL. It's great for the NFL. The NFL is just a soap opera for men at this point. And it, it always has been, but even more so now than ever in terms of the storylines off the field. So yeah. This I, has everything, right? This has 
This has the spy film you like to watch. This has the bad guy. This has the villain. This has the poor little Bengal good guys over here who are just trying to plug away and get them a yeah, win. The David and, and, you're, and Goliath you're picking situation. on these little guys. I mean, it's almost too good to be true. It right. feels like a setup in a lot of ways, and I'm not so sure that that's not. I got my little tinfoil hat on over here. I'm not so sure that it's not an entire setup by the NFL or the Patriots or whatever. Because why on earth would you even think you need to spy on the be- one in eleven Bengals? Because that the one thing I will say that's what they're about. They are that thorough of we're not leaving any stone unturned, no matter the opponent, the situation, whatever. Well, and believe, that's why you would I say this that. if you are filming the Bengals. What else has gone on? Oh, true. Leading up to this, well, and that's why the other. Here's a couple things that's happened. A Honestly, he should be suspended the rest of the year. The other part is Kraft Productions, New England Patriots, get no access other than their own stadium. You get no access to any other NFL stadium. Goodbye, you're done with this. We're not playing this game anymore. Now, you can argue somebody could go sit in the stands, but then you have copyright infringement at that point because you're not, you're not a credentialed media member. You would be having copyright infringement. So we can play with that game too if you'd like. So no, I, I look, he gets suspended. No more Kraft Productions, New England Patriots, in any other press box other than their own. Uh, and they lose their first two, two round draft picks. I think you hit them where it hurts the most. And then if they want to keep playing this game, then we'll then we'll figure out a different punishment down the road that's even worse than that. Um, maybe we start having you forfeit victories. I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. it's it's got to stop. Well, and I don't think you allow their scouts out on the road. I think you take away their yeah, scouts. Yeah, that, that's a year. an interesting one to me. But it may be. Yeah, it may be. D- dock them. The scouts are allowed yeah, on the road. Maybe you know, just like you wouldn't allow to have your coaches out on the recruiting right, trail right. for a certain period of time. Dock them uh, re- their scouts out on the road. For, what, what do you think should happen? I'm with you in terms of Belichick getting suspended for the rest of the year. I think that absolutely should happen. It's insane that not. I mean, the the flake gate is what it is. It was a bit silly. I thought what, that was a little silly you, too. Yeah, but. It did happen, and I I don't and doubt Spygate that. happened, and, and that's the big thing is and there's a pattern, and again there's a blueprint for this. this Who, is, somebody put that blueprint together, right? This is the exact same thing as Spygate, the exact yes. same thing. It's not like a, a different circumstance, or this is a little bit of a reach to try to say it's the same thing. It's the exact same thing. So yeah, I think you have to suspend him for at least the rest of the year. I think he got docked five hundred thousand that last time when Spygate happened. And that to me is a drop in the bucket. And I mean, the Money's just not going to matter to no. him. So find him whatever amount you want. But yes, suspend him the rest of the year, most importantly, which is I like the thing that scou- hurts like him the, the most. I like and the I scouts. Take some scouts off the road next and, and, year. And the production to... crew does not get a chance to go to any yeah, other NFL And that's, that's a given. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they shouldn't be allowed. That that might be a criminal operation at this point, for all we know. They might be like selling heroin at NFL <laughs> stadiums or something. <laughs> It is a reach. Human but yeah. trafficking. Human trafficking, maybe. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, yeah, I don't think this is as innocent as, as, oh, he just didn't know. It's okay. No. And it, like I said, I go back to to the whole college. Go get me guys. <laughs> I don't need to know how. Okay, I don't need to know how. And that's where you have some of the scandals that have come about is, head coach, does he have direct knowledge maybe that that, that, a, that a coach offered hundred grand through Nike to get a guy? Maybe not direct knowledge. Some of them, it seems like they did. But a lot of times you don't want to know because you know why? You want to be able to go, I had no idea. Right. And you but, didn't but in they theory. All know. Right. You know what I'm saying, though? But in theory, yeah. you didn't, but you did. Right. The, the whole go get me. I mean, you're a young assistant, right? You're 29 years old going to make your bones. You're going to do anything probably to try to impress that head coach, right? Right. Because then you get him dudes, and you're known as the guy that gets him dudes, and then guess what you get after that? You get your head coaching job. And then it's your turn to go, hey, guess what? You go get me some dudes. Exactly right. I mean, that's how it works. And this is different situation to an extent, but not really. I mean, this not is the really. same, same kind of idea here, more than likely. Exactly.
All right, speaking of the Bengals, they lost 27-19 to the Browns on Sunday, bringing the team's record to 1-12 on the year. Andy Dalton and the offense found themselves in the red zone five times but only came away with one touchdown. We've agreed for much of the season that it's hard to judge Zach Taylor due to the personnel in place and the injuries he's dealt with, but some of these guys are getting healthy and the Bengals are looking closer to the team we expected before the season now. So after a game in which he was pretty clearly the worst of two struggling head coaches – should we start being more critical of Zach Taylor and questioning his future with Cincinnati? I don't think you question his future just because we know what this this organization's about. They're about patience and time and, and all of those things. So I, I, I get those that do. I, I've had a couple people ask me yesterday if they thought he'd be fired after this year. And I, I even looked and went, you don't know these people. You you Come on, you've seen this work in, in before. Um, yeah, I think being critical is fair. Um, and I will say I thought both Brian Callahan and Zach Taylor um, – they tried their best without coming away making excuses for those calls in the red zone. Um, and I wrote a piece about it on Local12.com. And, and really, out of the five red zone chances, they scored the one touchdown. Two of them, they barely got to the red zone. They got to like the 18-yard line. But the two that are obvious, the, the two most glaring, are the first and goal with the two and the fourth and four quarterback draw play. Those were the two, honestly, most glaring. Right. The first and two, the explanation from Brian Callahan was, and I asked him, I said, were you guys trying to break a tendency down there? Because in... In their last 10 first-and-goal situations, last 10 plays they'd been ever in first-and-goal this year, they'd run the ball every time on first down. And so at some point, you think you need to break a tendency. I'm not telling you it's right, and I'm going to tell you what I think they should have done, and I think it's what everybody believes they should have done too. And he said, listen, we'd run it down there all the time. We thought that, that we had a pass call. We thought we could get out of the huddle quick. They checked it. They covered it up, and you just can't take the sack. Now, that part's on Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton can't take that sack. Right. Now, you can also help him by either bootleg, instead of having an empty backfield, put a running back back there and, and bootleg to a pass to where he's on the perimeter and he can throw it away if he's pressured as opposed to standing in the pocket like a statue and getting sacked. So that magnified it, too. Andy can't take the sack. That, that part's on Andy. Okay? But I said, and I, I, Brian sitting right across from me, I said, at some point, though, don't you say tendency be damned. I got Joe Mixon, and he's running the ball like a son of a gun, and I've got two yards to go, and I'm going to hand it to him four times. And he nodded his head and said, maybe. And certainly, in, in retrospect, you can certainly argue that. And that, to me, is that's overthinking yourself. I get the breaking of tendencies. And, you know, analytically, you're trying to chart yourself and go, geez, old Pete's, man, we, gotta, we keep doing the same thing on first and goal. Let's do something different. Hey, we're down at the two. You've got to be thinking that they're, they're going to sell out for the run, maybe run blitz. we got a play call that we really think is going to work. And it didn't. And it makes you look stupid because your quarterback of nine years took a stupid sack. And that part's on him. The play call's on you, though. And from two yards out, all I'm going to do is this. Joe Mixon's my guy. And he's running like a, like, a, like, a, like a beast. And you're getting some push on the offensive line. This isn't a day where you were struggling running the football. You were moving people off the line of scrimmage. I'm going down, handing the ball to him four times. And then I can walk into the press conference and say, you know what? You know, I, I, he's our best guy, having his best day, and I'm going down with my guy. And sometimes it is the guy over the scenario. And to me, that's where they messed up. So I think you can clearly be critical of that circumstance. Stop being cute. Stop overthinking stuff. Yeah, weeks ago we we were talking about if Tom Brady was the quarterback for this Bengals team, how many wins would they have versus the none that they had at the time? And we didn't say a whole uh, lot different. One now, and we didn't think more. it would be that different. And I don't know if we talked about coaches at that time, whether that would have changed the record or not. We're getting to the point, though, now, and you look back at some of the one-possession games this team has lost throughout the year, I'm starting to wonder this record might not look a whole lot different if there wasn't a different coach still in here, whether that be Marvin Lewis or yeah. whoever no, else. That's fair. Um, yeah, it's it just fair. seems like they're losing a lot of close games. 
Earlier in the year, I didn't think they could win because they weren't good enough. And there were a few games where they clearly weren't good enough. Lamar Jackson, I think they could play Lamar Jackson 20 times this season. And they have no chance. I agree with you. Their linebacking crew and the other holes in their defense isn't going to allow them to win that matchup. But some of these games, and this one in particular, where they looked like the better team, they outgained the Browns by a ton. They turned Baker Mayfield over a couple times. I mean, they did the things they needed to do to be in position to win. There were some glaring bad calls. You... I mean, you explained them in detail and, and did a good job there. But at some point, I think the macro story matters. Yes, and the fact no, that no, you're I, getting I, outcoached yeah. by Freddie Kitchens, who is the most embarrassing head coach in the NFL, is not a good look for Zach Taylor. And I know it's early. I know the Bengals are always patient. But things are looking bad for boy wonder genius head yeah, coach. Yeah, no, I, I don't I, – again, I, I think in this case, ego be damned. Stop think overthinking this. Joe Mixon's having a day. Your offensive line's having a day. There were games this year where I would have probably, in first and goal from the two, said, I am going to throw it four times because we, we can't move anybody. Yeah. But you're moving. They've changed their blocking scheme. They've done some really good things to change some of that. Um, and some of that, actually, these guys finally swallowing hard, letting Jim Turner coach the way Jim Turner wants to coach with his guys. But um, And that's that's a kudo to Zach Taylor and like those guys. Like the good old days. But it's also, no, no, just some of the schematic things they're doing. And, and he's changed a lot of their schematics. And that's that's a credit to Jim um, with what they're doing. He's allowed to verbally but, assault them again. And <laughs> no, 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 no. They changed, homophobic they changed schemes. As for the fourth down quarterback draw, I'll take them at their word that when they watched it on film, it probably made them want to puke because they said – if it's blocked the way it's supposed to be blocked, Andy walks in the end zone. They had the exact look they wanted, the exact scenario they wanted, the exact defense they were looking at. They they had called it a little bit earlier in the drive, and it worked to perfection. I can understand anybody that says, I ain't running Andy Dalton on a quarterback draw from the four, and I'll give you some of that. But you know, if you have the play design and a guy misses a block or, or they don't block it correctly, it can get itself blown up and you look stupid. And it looks especially stupid because it's Andy Dalton running a quarterback draw, right? Um, so I, I, I appreciated their, their explanations for it. As a coach, I do understand it. You've coached. You know that sometimes you draw up the greatest play in the world and Fred goes to point B instead of point A and Jimmy goes to point C instead of point D and it looks like you don't know what the hell you're doing. That's all fair and well and I would just argue you can't get out coached by Freddie Kitchens. I, I will give you that. And, and, it's, and it, it happened. It, 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 it is very hard. And no, you're right. I, I think I – think, now you can turn a little more critical eye to Zach Taylor about things because you do have this team is still fighting life. for him. They, like, they, I, they and, are, and, and give him. And this defense for, has played. Well, this is now four straight. Because don't forget, out of the twenty-seven points, seven were on a pick-six. Right, and then three more came after they had that interception over turn off of a crappy replay overview. So the defense has played pretty darn good for the last four weeks. Give him credit for keeping the locker room. Yes. Because I think a lot of people now thought we're, we're, that this team, that he had lost the locker room or would have right. lost locker room by this point, and he hasn't. These guys are still playing for him, but that also means you can be a little bit more critical of the decision-making Absolutely. on his part because no doubt. these guys are putting themselves in positions to win games, and he's letting them down in some aspects. No aspect. question. I, I think or that's Or at least fair. his staff is. Yeah. Skinny, the college football playoff is set now. The selection committee on Sunday released its group of four teams that will battle for this year's national championship. Number one, LSU, will take on number four, Oklahoma, in the Peach Bowl. And number two, Ohio State, gets number three, Clemson, in the Fiesta Bowl. Did the selection committee make the right call by moving LSU ahead of Ohio State for the number one spot? I think people are going to hate me for it because Ohio State people will hate this, but I do. I think the resume is slightly better, and that's obviously really subjective. 
but I do think it's slightly better. Um, I think Ohio State gets dinged for the first half against Wisconsin, whether that's fair or not, because I think you sometimes have to judge. You have to judge a football game for the whole of the football game, right? Yeah, I mean, um, and, and if you're and se- if you're dinging them for that, then yeah, you're the going to have to ding. Fight. Then it's tough to take LSU's. Um, "Quote unquote better resume into account, considering they squeaked out pretty much all their impressive wins. While yeah, Ohio State, I don't know. they didn't squeak out. They didn't squeak out Saturday. No, I mean I, credit, credit to them for that. They obviously put on a show on Saturday. Yeah. But if we're only counting the last game of the yeah, year, yeah, then no. I don't think that's fair. Either. Yeah, I, I, I don't think you could have wrong, gone wrong either way. Um, there was a handful of us watching it up in the press box in Cleveland, watching the thing, and we all thought Ohio State was going to stay number one. I made a case." As we were waiting for it for LSU, and I got shot down. Not in a negative. I mean, just they, the people shoot me down and said, no, but look what Ohio State did the last four weeks playing the teams they played. And I, I, it's hard to argue that part of it. The sad part to this is that whoever's the number one seed, in my opinion, clearly has the better path. Um, I mean, Ohio State has to beat Clemson and probably LSU. Clemson has to beat Ohio State and probably LSU. LSU has to beat Oklahoma. And then... Obviously, the Ohio State. You right. only really have wait, wait, one super difficult game, in my opinion. Which this will be the year, of course, that Oklahoma, Oklahoma beats wins LSU. it all. Right. And, right? No, right. That's exactly you know, it. No, that, but you're it right. Just, you're right. I mean, there's no way to feel like whoever got that number one seed wasn't going to get a huge advantage. And for whatever reason, it feels to me like LSU is the media darlings this year. People love Jer- Joe Burrow. They love look, Orgeron. I love Coach O. I mean, he is the best soundbite. He's so much fun to listen to. I still think I Ohio State that. is the more complete team. If you were to say, which one, do, if you were to ask me which one I'm betting on to win this thing, I'm putting my money clearly on Ohio State, and I'm not even going to bat, bat an eye at it. Yeah, and I know we got away from all the metrics and the computers for a reason, and I think that's the right thing to do. But at the same time, when you look at all the metrics and everything, everything pretty much suggests right. that Ohio State is the best team. And I just, I mean, I agree with everyone that the... And guess the, what? Clemson's um, going to win it all. <laughs> the, the strength of schedule is probably slightly in favor of LSU. of LSU. But when you look at the dominance that Ohio State right. rolled through all their quote-unquote tough games Other than with, Penn State, and that became, they still won by double they digits. They still won that easily. And the Wisconsin game that they were behind in on Saturday, which they still won by, by double, double digits. digits. right. I just, I don't, to me, they're the most dominant team in the country. I think they Michigan might be, was on the road, and they dominated on the road. I, mean, I no, think they I, might I, be historically I, good. They've got a game-changer at quarterback. They've got a game-changer at defensive end. Let me say this. If Ohio State does beat Clemson, because I think we've all slept on Clemson, myself included. Uh, Since that North Carolina win, I've just kind of put them... All. Excuse me, I've kind of put them to the back burner. I haven't at all. I think they're really good. I still think they have I the know best it. quarterback prospect in the in all of football in Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, no. And I, again, I'm, I'm guilty. I'm guilty of watching that North Carolina game and going, eh. And the way they played at times this year, Trevor wasn't great at times. He was throwing some interceptions he shouldn't, shouldn't throw. And I think sometimes boredom sets in for teams, right or wrong. Well, since that North Carolina team, they have steamrolled people. And yes, they're playing in a crap league against crap opponents that they probably should steamroll, but they've done that. So I think we're sleeping on them. So I will say this. If Ohio State beats this Clemson team, which it would not be any shock if they win the whole thing, and that would make them a 15-0 champion, which is pretty damn good, and then beat an undefeated LSU, you put this Ohio State team down, and especially if they do it, let's say they do it by double digits in both, they do have to go down arguably as one of the best teams in college football I mean, history. Yeah, I mean, I'm ta- I'm thinking of like the Cam Newton-Auburn team, the Vince Young-Texas team. Dude, I'll go team. back to the 1970s Johnny Rogers-Nebraska team, which everybody thinks might be the greatest of all time, or some of those great Oklahoma teams. In the, I mean, like, they're up the, there with everybody. That's the vibe this team gives off to me yes. when I watch them. They seem historically good and to the me. The thing is, they never look rattled. 
on any way, no, shape, they or know form. they're going to win. Even right. the Wisconsin game, you're like, there's no chance. We were at Mad Tree. I was with Bobby Regan from Barstool mm-hmm. Sports after the Crosstown shootout. And we were sitting there saying, like, what's the live line at? What's the live line at? Yeah, I want to get these. Yeah. Because you knew they were going to come back and win that game regardless of what the score was. Even when they went down, was it 21-7 at halftime, I think? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, you just knew that they were going to come back. So I... I I would um, tend to think that Ohio State should have been the number one team. For whatever reason, I kind of sensed that they were going to get punished for that first half against Wisconsin, and people in the media especially wanted to see LSU as the number one team. Now, I'm not saying the media controls selection committee. That's not the case. That's not their case, yeah. um, It does seem like there's a storyline out there that's always in favor of LSU right now. Okay, so so this year we didn't really have an argument for who the fourth team was going to be, right? It kind of got fairly clear cut. It was the most clear cut I think it's ever been, right? All right. That being said, though, the Pac 12 keeps getting shut out of this. The Big 12 has been shut out of this. If Georgia had won on Saturday, the SEC would have had two, and the pack or the Big Twelve would have been shut out of this again. I mean, are we at the point where eight teams is just so simplistic? Where we take the five Power Five winners, we take the best group of six team, which in this case would be Memphis, and two wild cards, and let's let's go with an eight teamer. I, I don't think it's very complicated whatsoever. I mean, I don't think it's complicated. I think that argument's always going to be there. I'm at the point where I'm fine if we do that. But this doesn't bother me either because I think we very clearly have the three best teams in college football in these four. I don't think anyone outside of those top three no, really have Oklahoma much of a chance the, to win Oklahoma the Oklahoma earned the fourth spot. They earned it and, and clear cut too. Yes, like, I yeah. don't think there's an argument. And by the way, I have no issue with the Pac-12 not getting a team in. The Pac-12 has been trash yeah, for the last five I agree. Five I, I, just, I, I think if I'm, if I'm going to have a Power 5, right? If I'm going to have five conferences considered the Power 5, why am I going to have a 14 playoff? The math doesn't add up to me. It, well, it, it never has. I mean, I, I understand where asked, you're going we're with that. And we're adding one more layer of playoff. I, I don't want to add 67 layers of playoff. I get that, and I'm not against it. Like, I'm totally fine and then if that they way want to make that the decision. The other part of this, too, but is... But I don't think it's necessary. But then the other way is you get that group of six team, at least when it's a UCF, or maybe even in this case a one-loss Memphis, which is really good. I mean, they're really, really good. Yeah, but... You, you get them a bite... But, but hear me. Honestly. You get the bite at the apple of, hey, put them in, they get their ass kicked then we can shut them up eventually. But you also then get the undefeated UCF, which beat Auburn in a bowl game that year, and go, let's give them a swing at it. They deserve a swing. And they're the eighth seed probably out of all that group, right? So they're playing the one seed. Skinny. Hey, we're not giving you a, a layup and a cupcake line through here. This Memphis team should have lost to Cincinnati on I Saturday. I understand that. I think Cincinnati's good. Cincinnati lost, lost to Ohio, Ohio State, State by 155. I, I understood. So I really don't need to see them play against any of those teams in the playoff. We already know who has the chance to win the national title. It's not a team from the AAC no, it's ever, one, nor it's will one it of ever these be. Four, and it's more likely the top yeah, three And it's by not far. a team from the Pac-12 right now, nor will it be Understood. in the near future. So, Understood. Uh, until Urban Meyer is at USC. I mean, Oregon was the best team from the Pac-12 and the best team maybe out there other than, than Georgia. And they're not close. And they lost to Auburn. Right. They are not close to Ohio State, Clemson. And did Auburn win the SEC? Nope. Did they play in the SEC championship? Nope. Okay, that part I get. I, I do understand that yeah, part. So I just, I just go back to the math necessary. of it. If I'm the Pac-12 and you consider me a Power 5 conference, give me at least a bite of the apple, dude. Give me some of that. Fair enough. Najee Marshall scored 31 points and grabbed eight rebounds as Xavier took down Cincinnati 73-66 at the Centos Center in Saturday's annual Crosstown Shootout. UC star Jaron Cumberland was limited to just 11 points on 4 for 14 shooting in 31 minutes. Skinny, first of all, what was your takeaway from this game with regards to Xavier? That they're still evolving, I think. And that's maybe a good thing. They're still evolving and winning games. Um, and, and you know what? Occasionally when you see Najee Marshall do that, you want to say what? You want to say, can't you do that more often? 
You're capable of things like this. You really and truly are. You are capable of things like this. But their defense continues to be really good. We've talked about this all year. Maybe they're just never going to be a great offensive team, but maybe it's still going to be good enough to, to – the more I look at this, I start to think that this is a 12 and 6 Big East team. I really do. Maybe 13-5. and five. I really do. I think they're, 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 they're good enough to do that. Well, and the Big East is going to be really interesting this year because aside from maybe Georgetown crumbling at the moment – everyone looks to be pretty tough. Yes. I mean, there does not look to be an easy win. At the same time, I don't know that it's too top-heavy. I mean, Providence is not nearly as good no. as people expect them to be. Villanova is pretty darn good, but I don't think they're dominant. So, you know, I think it's a it's a winnable Big East, but it's a very tough Big East as well. So their record in conference will be interesting to see. The takeaway I had was, you know, you mentioned that they're still evolving and mentioned Najee Marshall and can he do it more. My takeaway was more that, Najee Marshall is flawed and he's inconsistent and he's probably not going to be able to do this too often because it's he just hasn't to this point. No, you're right. Now, and it's a large body of work at this point. Right. But at the same time, I'm starting to wonder, is this enough for this Xavier team? It might be enough because Paul Scruggs is going to pick them up in a lot of games. And, and it seems like you look at the big games of Missouri when that game got tight late. Najee stepped up and went nuts. Um what was the other game that went into overtime? When they uh, were, UConn. UConn, when they were playing in the tournament. Najee Marshall steps up late and, and goes nuts. I mean, like he has risen to the occasion in big moments for this team at the right times enough. And at the times that he hasn't, and that's it what seems sta- like that's, Paul Scruggs have been Right, been but that's what stars that. do, right? I mean, you, you expect stars to carry you the whole way. And occasionally either they don't or they defer or they're taken away. But when it matters... They kind of they kind of you know emerge, and that's what you expect. And I think sometimes guys are reluctant to do that until they start to have success doing it, and realize and look around, going, "I am the man, huh? I am the man." Well, last year we talked so much about them not having a killer, a closer, with the loss of Trayvon Blue and even J.P. McCure, guys who were really comfortable doing those things at the end of games when games were on the line. This year, almost every time they've needed that. It's been Najee Marshall. Mm-hmm. Even if Paul Scruggs has had the better game to that right. point, in the end, it's Najee Marshall stepping up, rising to the occasion. I feel like they know who their guy is. They have a closer, and now maybe he knows he's the guy, right? Well, and he keeps. I proving, think that's important. He keeps proving he's capable too. Yeah. There, it's one thing to to want to take the shot. It's another thing to make the shot. And he's proving that even though he's not a good shooter, he's making threes at the end of games when you need them. He's getting to the rim, getting fouled. Doing That's what I think he's the best. Dominating the game, but his passing has been good. His decision-making has been better. Um, he was great in the Cincinnati game. His, I thought he played really well at both ends of the court. He guarded Jaron for right. most of the game um, and was able to lock in on him. So I that was sort of my takeaway is that I don't know that we're going to see Najee Marshall become more consistent, a guy who just dominates. You want to see him do what he get, did against Cincinnati – all the time because it seems like he's capable. I don't think we're going to see that. But maybe but, but that's thing, enough. But the, the thing is, I don't know if you need to see it night in and night out. Yes, the Big East is a crunch and all those things. Do I need to see it at home against St. John's when it's you know a winnable game without him? No, I don't need to see it then. Right. I need to see it on the road at Nova when it's a five-point game late and you either need to close it or make a shot to bring you back. That's what I need to see, and that's what he's capable of. And, he's, and we're getting to that point where you can say it with confidence that yes. he is capable of that because this year at least we've got a – you know, three, four times now where he's really risen to the occasion in big moments. So I do think he is kind of developing that whatever you want to call it, clutch gene or whatever it is, that is what this team needed. They've got enough. They're so tough defensively that that's kind of their calling card. They've got a guy that can carry you in a lot of other games offensively and Paul Scruggs. You've got a few other weapons. You know, Quentin Gooden, I thought, had a really good game against Cincinnati, aside from maybe like two bad yeah. shots that he took early that fans like, 
groaned, lost their minds over. I thought after that, he really played a pretty good game. So, um, yeah, I thought that was my big takeaway for Xavier. But I also wanted to ask you, how concerned should Cincinnati fans be about Jaron Cumberland in the future with this UC, his future with this UC I, team? I, I, I think a lot of it's just he's, it's still injury-related. And, and I know some of it looks attitudinal, right? I mean, it does, and it has been, I think. It was obviously early this year when he sat, got sat for coach's decision. I think right now he's battling through the injury situation, and it just doesn't look good. And, and maybe the best thing is, I don't know. I know they've got a, a Colgate maybe coming up, or is that Xavier's? One of the two's got Colgate yeah, coming up. Yeah, Cincinnati plays Colgate yeah. on Saturday. I think maybe you sit him just to just just get him right when 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 it matters in conference play. Um, I, they may have one. They still have one more non non con off the top of my head. I can't remember who it is. It's still fairly difficult. Maybe you get him. Oh, up, Tennessee. Yeah, um, you get him for that game. But other than that, I I think I pick my spots with him just to get him right physically. Because then when you get him right physically, then if it's still the situations that are going on where it looks like there's an attitude issue, there's a there's an effort issue, all those things, then you can point to that. But when a guy's hurt. It is hard to maximize your effort, man. If something hurts you, it hurts you. And I, I do. I think he's playing injured right now, and he's trying to play through it a little bit. And and it's it's hurting him and hurting this this team for sure because they do need him. There's no doubt they need him. I mean, he, you know, they put him at the point some, and that allowed Javen to play off the ball, which he, I mean, you know, be a shooter, which he's playing off the ball anyway. Um, and, and they just don't have any other real key offensive weapons without him either scoring it. Or setting up others to score it, and I don't know how they how they fix that if he's not the guy and not right. Yeah, they play Colgate on Saturday, then they have Tennessee on Wednesday at home, and they play Iowa at a neutral site. Okay. The following, so I Saturday. think I sit. I think I sit him for Colgate and try to get him try right. to get him th- right for that following week. I think that's the right call, and I'm. It's always hard to question a guy's effort, especially when he's dealing with injuries, which I know Jaron has been. That's and I'm point, not yeah. taking away from that at all. That being said, if you were at the Crosstown shootout, sitting behind UC's bench as that's the section I was in, but I, there was a lot of people on my message board who were sitting right behind it, uh, lower than me even. But even where I was sitting, you could very easily see what was going on in the huddles during timeouts in between Jaron Cumberland, his teammates, and his coaching staff. And things that were being said, um, and him not really responding to people or looking in their direction when he was being talked to. He seems very disengaged from no this doubt. team right now. And that is a major issue when basically all of UC's preseason expectations were based were on depend him. on the fact that, well, we don't know what else they have or how good they're going to be with a new coaching staff, but they've got a preseason All-American in Jaron Cumberland, and that's enough in the AAC. The way this thing is going, it's not enough right now. Um, and I don't know, because of... Jaron's history and who he's kind of been throughout his career dating even back to high school and you know I don't think you look at John Brandon with you know guys like Carson Williams and Mason Faulkner he's never been a guy to sort of give in to demands with playing time or or how guys, guys are tell doing, him how, how how things are going to go I don't blame him guys have usually left his program before that's happened Jaron doesn't have that option because this is a senior year but I just look at this situation and I don't know how it's going to end and maybe that's making too much of it. Maybe it is. He's just injured, and yeah, it's tough that, because uh, that he's makes a competitor. Be, and that makes him be disengaged because of that. Of, of right, of, uh, and he's and he's fighting that more so than his coaches. But he's not having a great attitude about it, and everything will just be fine when he gets right physically. Right, that could be possible. But 
it's hard to believe that's the case if you watch this game in yeah. person on Saturday. And I don't know anyone, including you see people that I've talked to who don't agree with that. And, and I'll be honest, you know, I, you're almost at the stage of needing to sweep Tennessee and Iowa to set yourself up in the league, to set yourself up to make the tournament. I mean, you're a, you're a five or six loss non-conference team before you even go into conference play. Yeah, and I mean, at the end of the day, you can always win the AAC well, tournament. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, that, that's always that for part, sure. That but, part's always a caveat. But uh, I think this team is still good enough to make a run in the AAC. I do too. Right, I do too. It's going to have to be a heck of a run at this point if you don't pull off these last two wins against Tennessee and Iowa. And you know, I think certainly one of those are at least possible. And look, dude, we've seen teams uh, turn turn seasons around at points where you think they're dead in the water. And and one of the teams I used for the uh, my top five shootout moments for the for the TV special we had was that 2004 Xavier team. Sitting at ten and nine, going in the shootout, yep. dead in the water. They're about to go ten and ten. They're playing the number ten team in the country. My God, what is wrong with 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 this team? What's wrong with Thad Motto? This thing, he's got some guys. What, why can't they do more? They elite win eight. and they go to the elite eight. Yep. Now, can this UC team do that? Probably not. But I, you, there's always time to turn it around. And I think you start with getting him right healthy. That way you can at least, even as a coach, make a better evaluation too. Because I don't think the rest of the team looks like a mess. Like Keith Williams looks really no, right. good right now. But it's, still, all pre- but it's still predicated on him. Right. He's what makes it go. Yes. And he's the one that gives them the upside. Yes. I don't think they have a major problem all over the place. I don't think they have major holes all over the place. I think they need their star to be a star. That's it. Because there's no one else on that team capable of doing that. Yeah, but they were, I mean, they were in that game. Yes, but, but being, it's great. You're in the game. You're competing. It still matters whether you win or not. And your stars oh. are the ones that get you to win. And what do you, who do we just talk about stepping up and being a star? Najee Marshall. Right. right. Big difference. And that was the difference in the game. I mean, it was that clear. You could just see that Xavier had a dude, and UC didn't have a yeah, dude. and it's a big difference. And Keith Williams was pretty darn good, but he's not Jaron Cumberland. For the third time, an unranked team took down the number one ranked team of the country Tuesday night as Texas Tech beat up on Louisville 70-57. Louisville was the fourth number one team to lose overall, joining Michigan State, Kentucky, and Duke this season. Also, your boys, number four Maryland, became the fifth top five program to be upset by an unranked opponent this season as the Terrapins lost 76-69 to Penn State. Kansas is currently ranked second in the AP Bowl, but many believe Ohio State might be the next team to be ranked number one as the Buckeyes are undefeated with wins at number seven, North Carolina, and at home against number 10, Villanova. Skinny, my question is, do you prefer a season like this or one where there are clearly more dominant teams at the top like we had last year? I did like last year a lot. I really did um, because the storylines were right there smack dab in your face. Easy to follow. Yeah. You know what to watch. This one's a lot harder to follow for sure. But I think I do. Um, but it's also one that I'm looking and going, I want to see what March looks like. And I hate to do that in December. I, I, I do that all the time in December. You don't want to wish away the season. I know. But it is hard right now to sort of latch on to anything. It's just kind of like you watch a random game and you're like, eh, Cause I don't know about either of these here's teams. Because here's what you need. And you're, I think you actually, you and I don't agree on a whole lot. I think you'll agree with this. You need a Duke or a Kentucky or a Michigan State or someone, Kansas. You need someone to be that team that either their fan base loves to death, which they always do, and the rest of the country to freaking hate. So you can watch on a night and go, gosh, I hope they lose. Now it's like Louisville, Texas Tech. Nobody hates Louisville for being number one. It was nice you were there for a little bit and all that stuff. And Texas Tech beats you. So now you go away for a while. And so it's just, it's been, it's weird. I think the bigger thing for me, and especially the way the sport has evolved with, the rise of mixtapes and high school AAU stuff. And these kids become stars at such an early age now that I think the fact that this is low on star power this year. Yes, we talked about that. We don't have the Duke team stacked with Zion and those guys last year. It's just 
that you you lose a little bit of the I don't know throughout the season it's hard to latch on to storylines. I mean you're already competing with football and it's been difficult for college basketball for years to do that that if you don't have those guys at the top of the sport that are elite big name guys and playing for the big name teams. Right. There are some really talented freshmen, but they're all spread out at different teams, you know, on different teams this year. You got one at Memphis, one at Georgia, one at North Carolina. And, you know, there's the Blue Bloods still have one. And the one, funny part is, the, but they the, only have one. The, the kid at Georgia, I've seen him play one time, the Michigan State game, and it was, it was a blast to watch him play. But I'm not going out of my way to watch a Georgia game on a random night. And I'm that's the not. issue, right? Because like these teams aren't if you don't have the dominant teams with the star power, it's hard to find it's hard to find the storylines to watch throughout the year yeah. with college basketball. And I think that's the issue that we're running into. But that being said, I think by the end of the year it makes for a great march. I think it's gonna make for a great march. Great conference tournament, because I think conference tournaments you're going to see so much jumbling from a seed line perspective just because everybody's going to be so jumbled up. It's going to matter of, hey, you finally beat this team, this team, and this team to, to, to bump your seed line up. And, and No, and I think March itself is going to be fabulous. But you're right, I don't want to wish the season away, but it is hard to latch on to things right now. Yeah, I'm enjoying watching random games, but it feels like no one's consistent. You watch them one week, they look terrible. Then two weeks later, they look great. And that's just kind of how it goes. So you kind of you follow your team, you watch the big marquee games, and you wait until March, I That's guess. exactly it. All right, Skinny, let's get to our betting picks. Do you I'm have closing our the, I'm closing the week? gap. Yes, you are, because I had an awful, you had a week. awful week. I went 7-7 seven and seven last week, which makes me on the year 103, 101, and 1. I am slightly negative in the unit pool. you got to take the 10% juice, so I'm, I think, negative eight units, something along those lines. Rick went 4-10. and 10. He's still got a profit line, but not by much. You literally, I think, have a profit line right now of about 23 cents. But it is a profit line. It beats a goose. You're 108, 96, and 1. So you got a five-game lead on me in football. We'll get to basketball where we stand in a bit. Um, we need a good week, dude. That's all I can say. Yeah, well, I mean, you take the college football games away from me and put me with mostly NFL, and I'm pretty much screwed. That's the issue here. <laughs> So we'll start on Thursday night. No college games this week, strictly NFL. Thursday night, 820. We've got Jets at the Ravens. The Ravens are 14.5-point favorites. The total is 45 points. A lot of this is predicated on Lamar. I mean, talk he's nicked up and may not play, and um, even if he does, i got to imagine you limit him a little bit. I think this sounds like a, a Ravens just kind of get through it, let's, let's get to the next week kind of game. I'm going to go... Ravens 27-17, so the Jets cover the number, and it stays under the total by a point. I'm going to assume that Lamar plays, Okay, and if that happens, I don't think the Jets have a chance to win the game. That being said, 14.5 is still a big number to cover. I'm going to go Ravens 30, Jets 17, so that's Jets and the over. So we both have the Jets covering. That is a big number. I think some of it is... I was really impressed with the win at Buffalo. I, I took Buffalo in the points this weekend in a parlay that, that actually that was the last part of the parlay to close out. I really thought Buffalo would play them tough. And really, Baltimore kind of controlled that game. They just keep week to week proving me wronger than wronger than wrong. But eventually, Vegas settles on a number where you're like, I'm taking the Ravens. And it's just, yeah, the number just gets you. Yeah. And this feels like a week the number. The Jets aren't getting them. The number gets them. That's how I feel about it for sure. Sunday at 1 o'clock, Patriots Cheaters. at the Bengals. The, the cheating Patriots. Against the lowly Bengals. Against the stinking Bengals. Patriots are 9.5-point favorites. The total is 40.5. Um, there's one of two things here. The Patriots' offense is as big a mess as it's shown, and I think it is. I really do. Um, and or they come in extremely pissed off with all the stuff that's gone on this week and the fact they've lost two games in a row and they take it out on the Bengals. 
I just think that offense has a lot of issues to it. They just don't have dynamic weapons. Um, you know, Muhammad Sanu looks like he's running in quicksand, for goodness sakes. You know what he's averaging per catch for I a wide not. receiver? Seven yards a catch. That's not good. That's brutal. That's a check down running back. Um, James White probably in this game, though, has 17 catches out of the backfield for 160 because the Bengals linebackers have a hard time covering. I, I'm going to go the Pats to win and cover, but it's just going to be an ugly game. Good luck to those of you going. I'll go Pats 20-10. to 10. I think it stays comfortably under the total. The Bengals will have a really difficult time scoring on this New England defense. Well, I agree with that last part for certain. Um, I think the Patriots open this one up a little bit because they know the Bengals' defensive play calling now. They've been filming the sidelines. Of so, course. I mean, what of are course. You, what are you going to do with that? Patriots score 31. It goes 31-14, so that's passing. So you don't over. think their offense is a, is, a, is a mess? It is a mess, but they know the Bengals' defensive well, play calls that's now. That's a good so call. That's a good you got to factor that in. Could the league maybe spot the Bengals 10 points? Like, like give whatever the, line, the Vegas line, and that goes up on the scoreboard. That's their punishment? You know what? Bengals I would, are spotted... T- I, I think what they should do is chip into Vegas, pay the juice to Vegas for us, so we get a good deal on this game if we take the Bengals. I even like that even more. I'm I think you. that's how it should be. Handled. I like it. That would be actually a good punishment for uh, <laughs> it would Kraft. I think it would be, too. You would hate that. Sunday, 820, we've got Bills at Steelers. The Steelers are two-point favorites in this game. The total is 36 and a half. Yeah, this Bills team is is played. They they're not great either, but, but they they're solid. They're solid. They're exactly. Solid. They're going to be a playoff team. They deserve to be a playoff team. Pittsburgh is winning with smoke and mirrors, and I I, I can't pick I, against them. I really them. don't get it. I can't. I, I don't get it either. Um, but they're finding ways to win, and that defense it's borderline elite. It's it's so good that they keeps them in every game, and all you need the Duck Man or whoever's quarterbacking that team to do is make you one big play. And he made a couple of nice plays in a key drive they didn't ask him to do much he was like 16 to 19 for a buck 60 they didn't ask him to do a whole lot but they made him be efficient they got just enough out of their offense they're, they're finding ways to either score on defense or get a special teams return they got a punt return for a touchdown in that game and then they just get a lead and they clamp down and they look up and you're like well that was an ugly win but it was a win and i'm going with them again they, they, they win this game i'll go i'll go 19 14 Steelers so Steelers in the under Tomlin is getting some consideration for coach of the year. He now, should and I be think the coach of the year. I think it's warranted. Like I, I could definitely see that happening because I don't really understand Dude, how they're winning games. T- t- take well, he lost a Hall of Fame quarterback. I think Ben Roethlisberger's a Hall of Fame. Yeah, you he may will be. Just, he will be. Yeah, you lost arguably a Hall of Fame wide receiver in Antonio Brown. You lost probably one of the top five dual threat running backs in the, in the NFL. All three gone. How many teams survived that? Like total of zero, yeah, or one maybe the Patriots, yeah, or you know the Patriots ain't surviving Tom Brady losing. I mean, well, they did no, Matt Castle one year, yeah. Um, no, I mean he's done this with doing it with a dude named Duck Hodges. Now come on, Duck, and they're down, and they've been down the last three weeks with with Juju Smith. Juju Smith Schuster's been down. They're playing with Deontay Johnson and James Washington at wide receiver, and Benny Snell, the third string running back, running the ball. How many teams do this? And look, I know, look, Bengal fans, you can hate the Steelers. I get it. I, I get all the reasons you hate the Steelers. But from afar, I admire what the hell they're doing this year. you got to be impressed, and I, I do think he will probably be deserving of that award, whether he receives it or not. That being said, I'm not like you. I can pick against the Steelers this week. I'm going to take the Bills to win this one outright. I'm saying Bills 21, Steelers 17, okay. so Bills in the over. 
All right, Monday night, 8-15. We've got Colts at the Saints. The Saints are nine-point favorites. The total in this one is 46. Two of the most odd-duck teams this year that you can't make tough, a pick on either one of tough them. Tough to call either one. It, it really is. But now, Saints at home are always tough. They are always opinion. tough, but they've lost a couple this year. I, I, it's been weird. Um, yeah, but that defense is just their numbers like are complete. Polar opposites when they're at home versus on the road. Well, but they also just got torched by Jimmy G for four touchdowns, too, at home. Um, and I think that does speak to more Frisco than it does anything else. But still, I'm going to take New Orleans, obviously, to win this game. I think that part's the safe play. But I think the Colts hang. They hang around with everybody. That's the deal with the Colts. I'll go New Orleans 30-24 to 24 in this one. I'm gonna so I'm going to go that's the Colts covering and the over. So you got the Colts and the over. I'm going to say Saints 34, Colts 20. So I've got the Saints and the over. So we both got the over. All right, there we go. That's our NFL picks for the week. On to college basketball. All right, college basketball, you got our records here? I do. We were both were 5-1 and one last week. That makes me a pretty solid 25-13 and 13 for the season. Yeah, and by the way, we we ha- we were right on the Xavier UC under in by Ken Palm's line that we had here. Yes. But on the day of the game, I had it at, I believe, 138. Wow. Uh, or one thirty eight and a half. Wow! And the layup that McNeil wow. threw in that meant nothing, where he just sped there with the last second layup, cost me the the, the, the to- wow. That that, that that's a but total. I was three for I, four. The thing I was stunned about because I a buddy of mine um, who's a big Xavier fan, he's a season ticket holder. He called me. We were talking on Thursday or Friday. He said, "What do you think the line will be?" I said, "Well, the Ken Palm line was what it was six, six six. He said, "There's no way that game's six. I said, "I agree with you. It was five and a half. I said, "I'd go pound it at six if I were you." Well, it opened at six. He got it by the time he got to the to the book at five and a half, and he had to sweat it a little bit. Um, but I was I was still a little surprised by that line. But it shows you Ken Palm's starting to get to the point where it's almost dead on. Yeah. Well, I was three for four on the day. I didn't get the under. I should have been four for four with that under. But um, I had Xavier minus five and a half. I had Xavier second half, second half minus two and a half. I had under for the first half at sixty four and a half. So I hit all three wow. of those. Should have hit that fourth under. Yep. Didn't quite get it on yep. that last layup. Bad uh, beat. You got the bad beat. Speaking of the bad beats, I want to go back to that Bengal game. Depending on where you got that Bengal line, and it was nine in some places, eight and a half. That Randy Bullock field goal that they kicked at the end. That was a bad beat for some people, man. Somewhere along the line, somebody was sitting there thinking they're up eleven. I'm going to cover, and the Bengals. They have to score a touchdown here. They decide, no, we're going to kick the field goal, then kick the onside kick. That got a few people, I got a feeling. I have no doubt that it did. I'm surprised we didn't hear more chatter about that I one know, on, yeah. on Twitter. Yep. I didn't see anything about that. Yep. All right, starting Saturday at 4 p.m., Xavier is at Wake Forest. The Musketeers are three-point favorites on the road. The total is 141, according to Ken Palm. I think Wake Forest is trash. I know it's on the road. I get all that. It's the Skip Prosser game, so I guess there's a little more emotion to that, although I'm guarantee you no players in the game know who Skip Prosser really is, which is sad. Um, it, Wake Forest is not very good. Uh, and, and the fact that it's been a week since the, the shootout, if this was a Tuesday after the shootout, I may say going on the road in that circumstance is a little difficult just because of the emotion of the shootout, but you got a week in between to kind of decelerate from that. And X is just clearly better, in my opinion. X 76 66. So X and oh, wow. the over. Yeah, I mean, I, I think X will take care of business, but this team is 
what it is. And on the road with that offense, they're not going to pull away from many teams regardless of how well they're playing. I don't think Wake Forest is very good, but they're not terrible either. I'm going to say Xavier 69, Wake Forest 64. So that's Xavier to cover the three points, but the game also goes under. Right, so the only thing we have different there is I got the over, you got the under. Yep. Saturday at 5 p.m., we got Georgia Tech at Kentucky. The Wildcats are 14-point favorites. The total is 136. Is Josh Pastor still coaching Georgia Tech? I should know that, and I don't. Is he still the coach? Yeah, yeah he's, he he's goofy. Um, I think Kentucky, too, they kind of had a little – everybody's had the week off to kind of get themselves right, and you can argue probably Georgia Tech has, too. I don't know the answer to that. I think Kentucky rolls in this spot, and, and I've been one that's been picking against them a ton lately against the number, not to lose games, but against the number. And they've not been very good at covering the number. I, I think here the Kentucky gets back right, finals are over, everybody takes it – well, actually, not final, finals week is next week, but this is kind of the, the, uh, the down week to get yourself ready for that. I'll go Kentucky roll. Rolls 77-55. I don't care the reasoning. I don't care the excuses. I don't care what happened. All I know is Georgia Tech gave up 90-something points to Syracuse in their last game. brutal. And for that reason alone, Kentucky will cover this number. I'm going to say Kentucky 80, Georgia Tech 64. So that's UK and the over. You got a little tighter, though. You got it two points over the number. Well, I mean, it's still a 16-point win. It's still a cover. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. This Kentucky team hasn't exactly been dominant. No, they have not. That's that's true. Saturday at 7 p.m., Cincinnati hosts Colgate. The Bearcats are 12-point favorites. The total is 146 in that game. Um, I, we, I guess this is dependent on Jaron playing to some degree, but it shouldn't be against Colgate. I think UC has a little bit of a get-right game here. Um, this is hard without Jaron, but I'll go Bearcats 70, 74, Colgate 54. So UC oh, wow. and the under. Yeah, so I think they can have a get-right game, but I don't think that necessarily means that this UC team wins by more than 12 points. They've had a hard time covering numbers. That's what I'm thinking. Um, I'm going to say they come very close but don't quite get to that 12, even if they're winning by 15 in the second half. They've had a lot of trouble closing games yeah. out in the final minutes in particular. So I'm going to say... What were they up on Vegas? 10 with, what, three minutes to go? Whatever that, four maybe minutes? Less maybe that. less than that. Maybe less than that, yeah. Like two minutes. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say UC 76, Colgate 66. So that's Colgate covers the 12. And stays um, under. And the game goes under. And that brings us to our final game, Sunday at 2 p.m., Illinois State invades BB&T Arena as the Norse hosts them. The Norse are eight-point favorites. The total is 130. Before we handicap this game, can I ask you a simple question? Because you are, for those that don't know, you are the radio analyst now for NKU basketball, and you've done, what, three games now, four games? Uh, Four or five. Four games. Four games. How god-awful bad is EKU? They're not very good. That's incredible to me. They are not very good. Although, I mean, the first half, they really gave – uh, NKU uh, a heck of a run playing their pressing style where they run and jump you. They've got a lot of transfers and other types of guys that are all trying to fit in, a freshman or two that are playing significant minutes. Um, so I think it's partly that they're just they haven't gelled together at all. I think that system will work a little better when they're okay. more used to it. I mean, last year everything ran to that Nick Mayo kid who's now playing professionally in Japan. I think in OVC play, they'll pick up some wins and look better than they do now. But, yeah, I mean, against the non-conference, like they're going to play Kentucky. Or, I mean, Louisville. No, they already played Kentucky. Yeah. They got, they got and, crushed look, by Kentucky. And, and Kentucky hasn't, hasn't – we just talked about it, They haven't covered against hardly anybody. They blew them out of God's green earth. Yeah, they're going to play Louisville coming up here, and that's going to be tough oh. for them. But – like in OVC play, I think they'll be better than they've looked in non-conference. Yeah, I, this is a – I mean, NKU, I'm going to have them winning. Oh, man, I'd like to say they cover – I'm going to say they don't. I'll go 
NKU seventy one sixty five. So I got the Norse and the or I got Illinois State to cover and the over NKU though wins comfortably. I like NKU to cover this number, actually. I'm going to say NKU 72, Illinois State 62. So that's NKU and the over. I I love the way – when you look at NKU's defense, they haven't given up over 60 points, like, hardly at all uh, to the the last – Other than Texas Southern. Yeah, Texas Southern, that game went into double overtime, so it's a little bit different story. And it was high scoring because Texas Southern plays at a crazy pace. Um, But when you look at the job NKU's defense has done for their past – you know. Four of their last six games or five of the last six games, they've been really good at figuring out it. For those of you who don't know, they're basically playing that Kevin Willard or Mick Cronin um, two three matchup type zone. Or Darren Horn says it's not a zone, it's not a man to man, it's a way of playing defense. So I like it. Um, fair enough. But they have taken to it much quicker than I would have expected because it's a complicated system to run, and they were doing a really good job of shutting down opposing teams' I mean, star players. I'll be honest with you. If they found a way to win that Texas Southern game, and this is not the smartest, they're not getting an at-large bid anyway, but this would have been a really good non-con. It's been a good non-con. It would have been, been a, a really good non-con if you'd have won that game. I mean, seriously, if you look up and your only two losses are to Missouri and Arkansas, and the Arkansas, Arkansas game you should have won. Right. Um, heck, if they win that Arkansas game, you get one wide-open three-pointer out of two to go down in the final minute. You win that game, and now all of a sudden you could be a one-loss team. I mean, that is a very really real possibility yep. for a team that lost the best player in school history and got a whole new coaching staff. Things are looking pretty good right now in Highland Heights. And had your best player arguably going in the season get hurt. Oh, oh, yeah. oh yeah. yeah. By the way, yeah. your, your preseason first-team all-conference Jalen guy Tate. is also out right now. Right. starting point guard. So yeah. you've been playing with a point guard that they thought was going to play, oh, five to ten minutes a game. He's now starting and playing 35, 40 minutes a game. Yeah, you finish up this non-con the way they should. I think you go into the Horizon League with a whole lot of confidence and not a lot of question marks. I would agree with you. Yep. All right, Rick, enjoy it as always. We will be back next week with another podcast. Thanks for being with us. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the Potpourri Edition. Thanks for being with us.